All right. Thank you, everyone, for coming to today's panel topic, which is on uh, the explosion of EDM and building the electronic revolution. We've got a great panel of people here. I'm happy to say they're all colleagues and, and friends. And so this is going to be very conversational. Hopefully, we'll be able to provide a lot of insights into what has brought us to this day and maybe more importantly, looking at the tech and the influences that are moving things forward in the next year and, and beyond. So first we'll start with just some brief introductions. Jake, you want to get started? Sure. Um, Jake Udell, I am the CEO and founder of Third Brain. We manage artists such as Cruella, Zoo, ATB, and many more. And I'm also interested in technology. I'm Betty. I oversee marketing and media for Insomniac Events. We throw EDC, Beyond Wonderland, Nocturnal Wonderland, Escape, All Hallows Eve, and a few other festivals and concerts. My name is Alexandra Greenberg. I am a vice president at MSOPR, which is based in Los Angeles. We are one of the country's largest music PR firms. We work in everything from heritage rock acts like um, Aerosmith and Ozzy Osbourne. I head the electronic division of the company while working in other areas of music. I've been there for 14 years, um, so I've been working in the genre for a really long time. A lot of the what you call the explosion of what's happening now in electronic music, this is not the first time. I've lived through this two times already. Uh, the 90s also was really the first, one of the first waves of electronic music really gaining <clears throat> notoriety and, and uh, interest on a, on a mainstream scale, especially when you had artists like Fatboy Slim and The Prodigy releasing records that became mainstream hits. <laughs> I didn't work on these artists back then, but they definitely influenced me, and, and um, <clears throat> I would go out and see their shows and really fell in love with dance music again at that time when that was all happening. And um, it's been really exciting to see the growth of the genre and the things that I've been able to do with these artists at my company. Um, So, yeah, sorry, I dragged out. We have an hour, so could do a lot of talking. Don't be shy, guys. (laughs) Um, I'm Robert Scoble. I'm a technologist, a journalist uh, for Rackspace. They asked me to go study the future. Uh, I... uh, have broken many uh, tech startups uh, like SoundCloud and Pandora uh, uh, and others. Uh, I study generally the technology side of uh, the business and not so much the music side, but I was partying with uh, Brian Zisk at uh, Coachella and he said, uh, you're a weird, uh, a weird guy. Uh, you're 50 years old and you're uh, enjoying this uh, new genre of music and uh, there's a lot of reasons for that. This week is very emotional for me, by the way. I, I just wrote a, a really long Facebook post on Sunday night about uh, being sexually abused. And uh, that sexual abuse led to the discovery of new things. Th- th- that's my drug that I use to, to cover up the shame that I felt. And uh, <clears throat> So, um, yeah, it's an emotional week for me, and it led to this panel. Oh. Welcome. And I, 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 thank you so much for all the, for the people in this room who have sent thousands of comments. It's, uh, you have no clue how many uh, victims have contacted me on email this week uh, around the world uh, that you have uh, uh, unlocked and uh, you've helped a lot of people this week. So thank you. Robert, kudos on your authenticity and openness. Yeah. 
Oh, for those of you who don't know me, um, I'm Ari Evans. I run a big electronic music blog called Less Than Three, and recently we've built a technology platform to create interactive digital experiences around content, mostly for live streams. Uh, we worked on EDC and Ultra, which are some big properties in this space, and uh, we're spending more time trying to figure out how we can create more intimate digital experiences for artists and festivals and other stakeholders in the industry in the coming years. Um, so first, this is just to understand the audience. How many people in here are artists, technologists, managers? Okay. Cool. Um, so we're, we're going to gear today's conversation a little bit more toward the tech, because that seems like the majority of the room. So first, um, you know, there's a lot of new tools out there. A lot of new technologies are coming online all the time. We want to talk through a few of them. Uh, one of the big topics that comes up all the time that we'll just knock out first is about live streams. Uh, stuff that's been going well, stuff that hasn't. Uh, maybe we'll start start with Betty, uh, since you guys did EDC last year. You want to tell us a little bit about the experience? So, how do I, so I started in December. I came from a multi-channel network called Machinima, which is a gaming network. I foresaw all of marketing over at Evolve Media, which owned and represented about 500 websites. So, very much came from a digital background. The decision to live stream EDC was a very, I would say, very tough decision for our CEO who, you know, he wants people to come to the festival to experience the show in person because there's nothing like going to EDC in person when you see eight massive size stages on, a, on the Las Vegas Speedway, the 150,000 people per day. There, there's nothing like it, and that's why it sells out so quickly. Um, how to translate that in-person experience to digital was very much, uh, very much it had to be planned and well thought out. And, and what we did was we had eight unique feeds, so you could see each stage, you could see people on the carnival rides, um, you can just see from a fan's point of view. We actually had fans on GoPros, and, and you, could see the, you could see the stream through each feed. We decided to stream on, on YouTube for obvious reasons. And then on Insomniac.com, during that period of time, we also relaunched Insomniac.com. And we used a beta technology called Maestro, which Ari obviously runs. And so that had a lot more interactive features than YouTube. So we, we drove people to Insomniac.com as well as uh, <coughs> provided the YouTube audience a little bit of insight into EDC. And I know, Jake, that uh, in the artist realm of things, you have a very contrasting opinion to how live streamers should be used. Maybe you can speak to that, or if they should be used at all. <laughs> well, technology was originally, I think, developed in the, in the music space to bring people together, and it's enabled a lot of artists to grow very, very quickly. Uh, that's been super inspiring to me as a marketer, but now what's happened is it's a very open space where anybody can engage. It's, it's amazing that any person in this room can go on to become um, the next manager, the next artist um, that breaks out on the Internet. But it also has created a very cookie-cutter approach that despite all these tools that exist, most people are attempting to do the same things, whether it's Facebook ads or getting a video posted on this channel or these various things and for I think it it's taken us a little bit away from what the actual story is and I think that's what's most important and it's difficult in a live stream perspective in my opinion to replicate that story because it's something that I believe needs to be felt in person and so 
the artists that I tend to work with are artists that are more interested in humanity and connecting on a more personal level. And re- recently, we've been very um, actually anti-social media. Specifically, one of my artists, Zoo, doesn't use social media at all um, and has one of the biggest records in the world right now. So um, and when it comes to live stream, my artists typically across the board like to reject it whenever possible. And it, of course, there's that ability to, for more people to see that performance or to scale an experience like EDC. But as Betty pointed out, there's nothing really like being there. Yeah. And I want my artists to be, to always have the most pure experience with their fans. And I don't think live streaming is as pure as the live experience itself. So we tend to reject them. I, I'll back that up. I, I was at the Austin City Limits Music Festival. And I study uh, 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 culture and trends and new things. And I'm sitting up on the hill watching seven stages. And uh, one stage had 10,000 people jumping in the air. And uh, I hadn't seen anything like that all weekend long. And I went straight for it. And that was Skrillex, right? I don't think I would have had the same experience uh, uh, discovering Skrillex on on, uh, Pandora or uh, Spotify, right? Right. So there's definitely kind of the the double-edged sword, right? You... In the case of Betty, you know, she wants to expand her audience and try to sell more tickets for the next year, bring EDC to a lot more different areas. Obviously, they've, they've got lots of different areas they're working with already, a lot of international expansion. You know, for, for a festival and a big property that's Live Nation known, I think there's a lot of pressure to continue to expand that way. Um, and I think in the case of artists, you know, Jake has the great luxury of working with an artist that has a you know, top-selling record in the whole world. That's a unique, I think, situation. Um, a lot of artists are using these tools to, some, you know, to try to get the word out, get a bigger audience. Alex, you can speak to I'd like to touch upon that. On the reverse side of what Jake was talking about, one of my clients is Above and Beyond, who just did a sold-out show at Madison Square Garden. And if anybody is not familiar with Above and Beyond, they're three guys, they're from England, and they have, you know, in addition to their music, they're known to have this incredible emotional connection with their fans they tour the world over they invite fans to come on stage and you know imagine you were going to madison square garden and you're going to see billy joel perform and your dream is to get asked up on stage to play guitar with billy joel well for you know for them they invite fans to come and what do do in moment look this woman's getting all crazy back there she knows what i'm talking about push the button right yeah. Uh, so Chrissy's and, always crazy though. Yeah. So, but I just love she knows what this is, you know. So you know, this is an experience that they love to share with their fans, and um, they streamed their live show. And Ari, you guys did did that show too. Lesson three did the sh- the streaming, and for them it was the most. I mean, they didn't even care. I mean, they cared, but they didn't even really. Their whole thing, everything was like the first and foremost, the fan experience. And they wanted to bring their fans from all over the world into the room of what they were doing at Madison Square Garden. So, um, you know, live streaming was a huge part of that. Everything was pushed towards the live stream. And they, they didn't really care about hosting it through YooHoo or YouTube. I mean, it was all through, you can find us at aboveandbeyond.nu. And, um, you know, for them, that was, they got to play their new music for their fans. And everywhere around the world, it became a number one trending topic on Twitter. That was so important to them. You know, every artist is different. And you need to, as an artist or someone working in the tech space, you really need to, 
you know, avoid the cookie cutter situation and really tailor what is going to best benefit an experience that's going to best benefit who your artist is, what their music is about. And technology can either be an incredible tool and asset of getting that message out there, or you don't want to use it at all and keep it all insular and let it be very like organic word of mouth. So, um, yeah. I remember, I, I remember talking to Alex, who started uh, SoundCloud. I uh, was one of the first people to talk about SoundCloud. And he uh, uh, showed me the histogram. And uh, the histogram, I think, has helped EDM. Because when, uh, when people send me new music, I just uh, uh, got a new Nor- Norwegian uh, playlist this week. You can see where the, the activity is in the music, mm-hmm. where the bass drops are and stuff like that. And uh, you, you can uh, uh, see music in a different way, and you can see the comments as you're playing the music, and, and the comments are extraordinary. They, they, the, the, the fans say, get ready, it's coming, and boom, the, the bass drop hits, right? It, it's uh, it's uh, a, a new technology has enabled us to share music in a new way, and I, I, I hope that the industry doesn't completely ignore it. I, I, I don't think they are, but... Uh, I like watching live streams from these shows. Uh, it helps me uh, see new acts uh, and see new music that I want to go and see in real life. And so I, I think uh, there's a creative tension here on the panel, which is interesting. Tension is good. Well, thank, <laughs> thank you, Alex, for bringing it up and Robert for chiming on as well. Because I think I sounded as if I was anti-social media when that's how not only have I made my career but my artist's career. And it's, Alex's point is so valid. The reason why it works for Above and Beyond and I actually emailed James Grant after the show, was because the story was so authentic. I feel like a lot of times live streaming is about exposure, and you did not, you brought up the millions of fans, but you also brought up that for them, it was about actually reaching their fans, and even when you said it in your voice as an extended part of their team, the vision was so authentic. And at the end of the day, it's really a story and how we use these tools to expand on a story. Most artists today, I don't think, have strong enough stories to do what they did. And that's what makes them who they are, which is really incredible. And you have to pick and choose what you live stream. You can't live stream every festival. You know, We've only live streamed EDC Vegas. Yeah. We've chosen not to live stream any of our other festivals. We just had four Halloween shows and chose to live stream none of them. Right, so it seems like the common thread is authenticity yeah, really It matters. could be oversaturation, too, because you're like, oh, yeah. another EDC stream, great. It doesn't make that one key, marquee thing special. So, yeah. Yeah, uh, Well, spe- yeah, the enemy is the cookie-cutter attitude, right? It's not necessarily the technology. Uh, understand that in Silicon Valley, these young people are encouraged to be three guys sitting in a room and create some code right. that everyone uses. By the it's way, Mark, the same code. Mark, we should explain who you are. You're the guy who started Macromedia. Right? So, so. so it's about tools, right? And enabling people to get the tools. And it doesn't have to be one to, to a million. It can be 20,000 tools to 25,000 people, right? So the artist right now is a musician or whatever. That's your form of expression. Well, the technology ends up being a form of expression that helps the authentic relationship, and, you know, basically, technically, it's called authoring versus programming. You don't have to be a programmer to control technology. And so that's, ideally, these kind of tools would create these authentic relationships. We don't have to be one to a trillion. It could be, you know, a much tighter relationship, even one to one. 
So that, and that, that's where we're headed. Yeah, in fact, uh, there was just a video released by a band, and I forget the band's name, where they played one-to-one concerts. They would call up their favorite fan on Skype, put them up on the screen, play to them, and they recorded the experience of playing one-to-one and scaled it out. It was uh, uh, very uh, remarkable and, and uh, very special for those fans to have their favorite uh, performer performing to them that way. Right. So Mark, to your point, you know, the, the tools, it's great to have new tools and we need to continue to build them, but it's all about using them in creative ways that are special and authentic. And Jake, maybe you can speak to some of the creative campaigns you've done on social media that have really been you know, different from what most artists have done. Well, Zoo as an artist is, is, he's a faceless artist, and so for us it became really challenging when we wanted to roll out the live experience, how would we do it? We knew that we had to have stage production that would conceal his identity, but we also felt like masks and a lot of those alter egos, if you were, alter identities might not actually reflect who he is because we have that authentic relationship and we still wanted to keep that one-on-one experience. So it was, we were, it was a big challenge. And so we decided to do one show. And instead of going on a full tour, we decided to do one show in L.A. and two shows in New York. And the show in L.A., which I'm going to specifically talk about, I think was rolled out via social media in a pretty cool way, where we partnered with Gary Richards from Hard um, at, for Hard Day of the Dead, which Alex represents as well. And you represent everybody, don't you? <laughs> um, and she reps Corella. Everyone who met him. So anyway, um, what we did was we took over their Facebook, their Twitter, their website, and we just blacked out the entire thing. And if you haven't seen Zhu's logo before, ZHU, for those of you that don't know, um, it's three gigantic paint strokes that make up this Z flag shape kind of emblem. And so we just put the upper line of the paint stroke over the black. And then 12 hours later, we put the bottom paint stroke. And 12 hours later, we put the full Z still not having made any announcement. And even in most of the photos that were used, there was not even a hard logo present. Their lineup was not even visible. This was in, they were posting it to their Instagram, Snapchat, everywhere. And then after the 36-hour span, three hours later, we announced that it was his debut performance. And we worked with Dead Mouse's team to get the slot right before Dead Mouse first Prids at Day of the Dead. And, you know, as he was, I mean, for, for him, though, it spans beyond even just that extensive rollout and not having the foresight to not be present on the lineup or not care as much about where you are in the lineup as having this alter announcement experience, but down to like when we're setting up our stage for the 30 minutes before this set, there's specific cued music playing. It's very, um, the whole thing is an experience and we look at all those touch points and I think that as an artist, for the artists in the room, uh, the best technologies that exist, Robert talked about the commenting feature on SoundCloud. These are really intuitive, um, sometimes become even growth hacking mechanisms because they, the word spreads very quickly about some of these unique things within um, the cult audience that exists that, that is paying attention to those details, and the details do matter. So for anybody that thinks they don't, um, the music comes first, but everything else makes up that personality that I think you were speaking of. So the holistic view of you know using all the tools and creating that story is obviously you know really important. Um, Alex, have you experienced anything recently with some of your artists that's kind of pushed the envelope on the social side of things? Social media? Well, you know, um, two of my clients have been using Snapchat to, to uh, you know, and make announcements or show videos. Um, one case with Alesso, 
when he la launched his uh, Tear the Roof Up video, the Snapchat for that. And then um, I also represent Light, which is the Cirque du Soleil nightclub. Well, actually, no, let me rephrase that. Mm -hmm. It is the uh, nightclub at Mandalay Bay in Las Vegas, and it's the only club nightclub in the world powered by Cirque du Soleil. So it's amazing. If you ever go to Vegas and you want the nightclub and the Vegas show experience, you can do both in one shot at this club. It's beautiful. Um, when, they, when we announced their New Year's Eve lineup, uh, we also did it via, via Snapchat. And the response was really good. I mean, I think the fans are just excited to see something different. And the kids really enjoy, you know, utilizing and getting, you know, something out of a, a new medium like that. But, um, yeah. Yeah, Snapchat is a, is a younger demo for us. So it's the, it's the demo we target for them to get excited. So when they turn 18, they want to come to our festivals. Um, so we, in EDC New York, which takes place Memorial Day weekend, we Snapchatted the artists who played in New York. Uh, we teased them on the stage, and we, they would announce that they were playing EDC Vegas because the joke with Insomniac is that we like to drop the lineup really, really late. Um, and so we announced part of the lineup during EDC New York via Snapchat, and then we all got back to L.A., and then we started dropping the lineup on Snapchat. And then Pasquale was creating memes to kind of tease the audience that the lineup was coming, the lineup <coughs> was coming. Because we had promised them we would drop the lineup on a certain date, but we didn't really drop it until the end of the day. Yeah. So we kind of used Snapchat to tease them along throughout the weekend and the day. I, I noticed you guys had uh, posters at South by Southwest Music uh, and a good word of mouth uh, at other music shows. I've been to Coachella. Um, how, how did you uh, get that going? And uh, is that really important? I think it is because I took a picture of the uh, poster. I mean, we, we still believe in street. So a lot of, uh, I would say a lot of marketing dollars has transitioned to digital. We do spend a good amount in digital, but we still, the heart and soul of what we do is street. So we do spend a lot in street you know, old tactics from flyers to sniping to posters to just one-to-one -one conversations with the fans. We still do that. But we've also taken that to digital where we have a team of influencers who post about our events, talk about our events, and we do have one-to-one -one conversations on, on Twitter, specifically on Twitter, but we do answer fans in real time on Facebook and Instagram. I noticed uh, Coachella uh, 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 released a playlist on uh, Mashable, mm -hmm. which was uh, is a blog in in my industry um, that has millions of followers. Uh, how important are these playlists of the of what's coming? I think it's extraordinarily important because I, I listened to that uh, fifty times to. Uh, understand what artists I wanted to see at the at the music festival. But what's it's all the it's, it's all idea? about content, right? Yeah. So for our marketing, it's all about content. So music and the artists are, are a piece of our show. But if you ever go to one of our shows, you have and, and Jake and Alex know this. We have scenic stages. So those are scenic stages, are handcrafted stages. They're, they're very specific. They have characters. If you were at EDC Vegas this year, they had two owls. It was a cathedral with. Uh, hundreds of panels of LEDs. I don't even know how many. Um, and then we have production stages. So if art artists, if they don't like a scenic stage, they have the option of playing a production stage. So, you know, we like to highlight these are our stages, these are the artists playing, the, these are tracks that they want to debut. I think doing a playlist, you have to work really hand-in-hand -hand with the artists because sometimes they don't want to release, you know, the tracks that they're going to play or they don't want 
it's it's a very special moment when they play the stages at our shows. Well, I, I can speak to the playlists because that's kind of the bread and butter what I do as a publicist. And that speaks to whether I'm doing publicity for an artist or I'm doing publicity for a festival. At the end of the day, you know, things like Mashable, you know, for Mashable, it makes it more appealing if you can offer them an exclusive playlist curated by the promoter of the festival or a certain artist rather than just posting a news item about an announcement that everyone else is posting about. Usually they want it first. Usually they want it like a 24-hour exclusive. That's usually the outlets on the larger side. So you're dealing with Rolling Stone, Billboard, Mashable. We, use, we, use, we, we, we pitch Mashable quite a bit. It's very influential. Um, even in music. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, 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 it is the artists that choose the playlist and sometimes they have a new single and they want to tease it and get it out there. And sometimes they want to <laughs> introduce people to some of their back catalog or things that they'll be playing during their set. But, um, yeah, content is really key. So playlists, debuting a new song, new remixes, um, photo galleries, there's all kinds of things, and that's another place where you can use the tech as far as being creative and placing content places to promote. So we're talking a little bit about um, marketing tactics, right? Let's talk about that a little bit more. So there's a lot of old school stuff still going on, a lot of new school stuff still going on. What more of the old school and digital is still being done these days? Uh, email, is that still effective? Email email is probably the highest conversion for ticket sales. Uh, I would say it's still, people yeah. think it's old school, but it still has its power. Um, you know, we're really big into data collection right now. So I would say in the past, I, I don't know if any festival or any concert was really interested in data, but we're really focused on data and audit, audience segmentation. So in everything that we do, we have tracking pixels. It's kind of Big Brother-esque. But we do have tracking pixels on when you're opening up the emails, where you go after the email. You know, you open up the email, you don't buy the ticket, where are you going? And we'll, we'll track you with some ads. Um, you know, we, we do email marketing. In that sense, we buy display media. We will buy in the exchanges as well. So we, we, we take a variety of tactics, I would say, in, our, in how we buy media. But every festival is different. EDC Vegas is a is a national buy. Uh, Beyond Wonderland in in the Bay Area is very geo targeted to the Bay and maybe some of the ancillary areas. But yeah, and then also for artists, email lists. You know, how many times have you gone in, on a website and said, "Sign up for my email newsletter," or you know, "Get a free track through my Facebook if you give me your email." It's still a very very commonly used way of collecting data and when you have the big announcements like you're going out on tour or you have a new release you know you gear up and you put together an email and you send it out to your fan base and there's also trying new things too like youtube influencers twitch influencers those are you know if you don't understand the ecosystem you don't know how to leverage them but both of those platforms are are very powerful to to leverage so you know, these, these marketing tools, it's just to put a positive spin on some of the stuff that said, yes, there's a lot of, like, data tracking going on. But my view on that is if you can get smarter about, you know, segmenting your audiences and understand what's <coughs> going to motivate them to have fun 
you know, what does mm-hmm. their, their social, look, social circle look like? What kind of music are they into? You can custom tailor the experience so that they're going to have a better time. And, and, and the industry is going to track you far deeper than they, these people are talking. <coughs> uh, Spotify's, uh, Spotify's head of engineering uh, spent some time with me walking through his artificial intelligence that he's built that studies anytime you say something about music online. There's companies that do this about wine, by the way. I have Vintank up here uh, studies anytime you say something about wine. And uh, by the way, that's one and a half million tweets a day are about wine. So I imagine music's way more than that, right? And it studies everything you do uh, online, and it knows whether a band or an act is uh, hot or not way before uh, most human beings do. Right. So there's kind of the digital side, and then there's also the physical side of tracking, which I know Insomniac's spending some money, you know, investing in that space. What kind, you know, RFID or you know, beacons? How's that technology impacting things? So we Rather just uh, we just did our first cashless event, UDC Orlando. It went really well. Um, so everyone you know, check-in was much easier. Um, Com- completely cashless. Completely cashless. The entire event was cashless. So basically, we we mailed. Um, the ticket boxes to all the fans. They had a they had a wristband that had a chip in it. They had the option to activate their their chip through our web, through our website, or they could activate on site. And they could not use credit cards either. Or they could use also credit cards. They could use credit cards and cash on site to upload money into their wristband. So we had so no credit cards either. No credit cards. Wow. But we did have a backup plan if everything went down. So if you've been to a festival and you've done cashless and then something happened, we, we did have um, a backup plan. But everything worked. We had 30 stations on site that Which allowed, company did you do it with? Intellitix. Okay. Uh, we had 30 stations on site. We had, I think we had about 10 to 12 customer service stations. So if there was something wrong with the wristband, we could in real time figure out what was going on, cut the wristband, replace it, transfer funds. It was really successful for, for us. You know, you, you did have probably less than 1% that was, you know, not accustomed to cashless, a little irritated that they had to do it. But if you look at the, the total of positive reactions towards it, 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 was a win. it was a win for Insomniac to do More cashless. More money spent? More money spent. And a simplified experience. Less, less long lines? And less <laughs> long lines. There was ease of use and, and you know at every insomniac event we have our social team and we have cyber surveillance on site so we were answering questions in real time if we got a tweet uh, asking like hey what's going on like we had questions about roaming vendors like roaming vendors are overcharging us we would send them to customer service we would refund them immediately on site uh, we're going through the refund process now on, on people who didn't spend all their funds and had the roaming vendor issues, but we took care of it in real time. So th- there is value in having your, your social staff in real time on site and then setting up. Basically, we geofence the area to cyber surveillance any, anyone that spoke about EDC Orlando or the cashless system or anything like that. So in real time, we could see what was going on. And rather maybe <laughs> cyber surveillance. We do set up cyber surveillance at every show. It, oh. it, I wrote a book called Age of Context. It's going to get a lot worse in oh, the future. I'm sure. I'm You're going to sure. have sensors on your arm soon, like an Apple Watch, that are going to do things. <laughs> I mean, we do place eye beacons all over the festival. So, it, it, into that question, um, 
You know, you should I should cover what beacons are because most of, even my audiences don't know what beacons are. They're a little radio that uh, spits three numbers into the air, and your phone can tell how close it is to the beacon. <laughs> By the way, if you have an iPhone, you have a beacon in the iPhone. You probably didn't know that. You have to have some software to turn it on, but that lets uh, you do a ticketless entry. The 49er Stadium has 300 of these beacons at there, and I'm sure the music festivals are going to have hundreds of them around to do interactive things with your phones as you're walking around these fields. Yeah, wow. if you have the Insomniac app and you go to one of our festivals, when you get into the city, you'll probably get a message that says, welcome, welcome to New York or welcome to Las Vegas. Once you walk on site, you, you get, you know, here's the art piece, this artist is playing at this time. Will it time. eventually be even if you don't? Maybe. We'll see. That's really, Robert, I is think that so. what you're talking about? Eventually. I think that's years Probably years. It's but, years from now. But soon uh, you're going to – I just visited Samsung. They're going to have things on your skin that are going to study your uh, all sorts of stuff. <laughs> so this world is about to get extraordinarily freaky to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I just met with a company that uh, puts a thing on your electrical box and knows when you turn on your spot, sound uh, your uh, uh, Sonos. Think about that one for a minute. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we I mean we use iBeacons to collect data on the audience, but it also helps production. So when we place beacons where where there's lines, extens- extensive lines, we like to get the fans through in 30 minutes. There has been situations where it's gone 30, an hour, hour and 15 minutes, but we're able now to kind of see when it goes over 30 minutes and send extra staff to start taking tickets and searching people quicker. So Orlando, I think, got up to 45 minutes to 60 minutes, and we got it back down to 30 minutes in a span of 45 minutes based on the data that was being collected in real time. So there's eventually and, and already a lot of data being collected on people. You know, it's, it's just the same as it's ever been. The technology's out there. You can use it for good or evil. Hopefully we'll use it for good, right? <laughs> Build a lot of great applications with it that improve the experience for people. Uh, we have a question. Uh, we are in an electronic dance music session, so I feel obligated to say that it, cap, technology doesn't have to only be about capitalism, right. that the creative people can use the technology to express themselves, and that these beacons and all this stuff can be used by the artists to do other creative things yeah. besides buy and sell things, I, right? I, I was at a concert that handed you a wristband with some LEDs on it, and as you clapped, the LED lights uh, went up, and the performers all loved it because, because they were able to interact with their audience in a new way and see the audience, which is, I, I don't know if you've ever been on a stage with the lights in your eyes, it's hard to see people's uh, uh, behaviors down down there. And uh, so it lets them interact with people in a new way, and those sensors are soon going to do a lot more freaky things. <laughs> yeah, for, <laughs> Connect with each other. I just saw an app in the last session that you hold your phone up and it does uh, a signage, you know, if you have thousands of people holding the same app up in the air. I mean, we find a balance between technology and the, and the fans. We call the fans the headliners. And if you guys don't know Pascal that well, he's very hyper-focused on the fans. And, and, you know, if it's good for the fans, he'll do it. And if it's not, then he won't do it. And he, he responds to them <laughs> in real time. And, you know, we, we deal with some of the, the issues behind the scenes. But he's, he's fans first. As a general call to action to all the technologists in the room, I mean, the, the floor is wide open for you all to create new creative paradigms for behavior out there. I mean, there's just so much room for opportunity. Uh, I would highly encourage you know, people to look at all the new technologies that are out there. A lot of it's really fresh. There's not a lot of competition. Explore, make mistakes, try new things. The, the festivals, especially in our space, are really open to working with new tech uh, and trying new things out. Uh, so definitely... 
you know, get, in, get encouraged, get motivated, spend some time there. Uh, we'll switch topics slightly here. I um, want to talk a little bit about one of the things that's probably more unique to EDM than other genres of music and probably part of what's been uh, causing a, a rise is uh, at the actual events, the stage design. A lot of people on this panel can speak to that. Um, Jake, why don't you start with what you did with Cruella, for example, with uh, their stage design? Uh, we partner with uh, V Square Labs, Velo, who works with Insomniac as well, and uh, we wanted to create a experience that brought the rock to the rave to kind of make a rock show out of a dance music show. So we created a giant crystallite structure that was made up of mirrors so we could put light through it and also shine onto it and that it would reflect in infinite directions because the mirrors bounced off each other. Uh, we called it the volcano. And we also, something I was really proud of was since we were playing all different size venues, you know, we could go to New York and do 10,000 tickets, but we would be playing on a Wednesday in Tulsa, Oklahoma for eight or 900 people. So we created the stage in a way that was, um, had multiple different versions of it. So there was like a bigger version, but then it could also be scalable depending on the venue so that we could bring the best experience possible to each venue that we played on the 55 date sold out tour. Anyone else want to speak to this topic? Stage design? How about what is the role of the VJ in today's uh, festival or They're heavily world? involved in stage design. Uh, depending on the artist, like they, they need to see the stage designs ahead of time. They want to know what they're playing, the visuals and the background. We have to sync up with their production people, their tour managers, and it's an extensive process. So I would say some DJs like scenic, some like production. They definitely want to see the stages they play on, and as they should, especially the the sound quality, how large the stages are, you know, and things like that. Yeah, Robert, in the back we were speaking about how just, you know, maybe it's a generational thing, but how... uh, You know, how apparent it is, how different the lighting is now yeah. than how it used to be. Uh, you know, I stood outside the, uh, the Sahara tent at Coachella with a big lens, and I, I was uh, discovering EDM uh, uh, music and, and watching uh, how peop- uh, who was going in the tent, uh, what were they doing. Um, and I kept noticing parents uh, dropping their kids off and turning around and, and leaving and going to see Beck or Arcade Fire or something like that. And I would, <clears throat> I would grab them and I, I'd say, well, why aren't you going this, into that tent? That, that's the, where the action is. <laughs> and they would say, it's not my music. And I'd say, no, come on, come on, give me more. Oh, they're not playing instruments, okay? And the, the kids, uh, kids know that all creativity comes from a computer uh, today. Uh, in my world, uh, creativity came from a trumpet or a, a guitar, right? Uh, that was one point. The uh, second point was uh, uh, th- there's no uh, melody to the music or no um, l- uh, story to the music. Uh, I was just in a, a traditional bar in, Dub- in uh, Cork, Ireland uh, last week, and then there's a, 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 it's not EDM. It's something else, right? It, it has a story and has a melody to it, and you can sing to it, and you can dance along with it. Uh, EDM is different. And they also said... Uh, <coughs> When you kept asking, they said, I, I just am not comfortable with the lights. The, li- the lights are so intense and so uh, uh, intense. And, uh, you know, these new LED lights that go on and off really, really fast are, are not lights I had at the Who in, uh, when I was in high school. So there's a generational uh, gap here, and which is very fascinating to study. Um, it's just I, I did not have a good time in high school, so I did not imprint on my high school experience, and so I'm looking for new experiences to imprint on, right? 
in general, do the panelists think that we should try to find a way to appeal to older audiences with this music now? I, I don't know that you can. Uh, I think over time, uh, uh, some people will come in. Uh, my wife hates ADM. Uh, she thinks it's uh, an earache. And I don't know that you're ever going to win that audience over. Um, uh, on the other hand, I, I've met more and more people like me who are uh, starting to enjoy this new mu- musical form. And uh, it'll change. But every uh, music generation comes along and pisses off their parents. It's, it's, it's about pissing off your parents. I mean, Elvis pissed off the, the parents before. And, and, and ACDC pissed off the Elvis generation and on and on, right? So I wouldn't worry about that too much. I, you're doing such spectacular shows that are getting huge audiences. Keep doing it. I think it's happening organically. I think yeah. that... Uh, um, I have multiple of my other artists whose parents have told me they've bought Zoo's music and it's just kind of happening that um, in certain territories like <laughs> Australia, it's, the record's been picked up on adult contemporary radio, which was kind of a shock to us. So I think where dance music's headed is that a lot of the, a lot of people my age, I'm 25, are getting older and might not be as interested in boom, boom, boom. So they're looking for something that's a bit more sophisticated. And as they look for something that's more sophisticated, the artists that are seeking to authentically create that art that, that pleases that audience is going to be more likely to attract the older audience authentically. And when the older kids like it, the younger kids like it too. And that's kind of what we've been seeing start to happen. There's really I, no boundaries on it. I know. But you so, have an older <clears throat> audience. I mean, you have the, the Carl Cox and Richie Houghton crew. I mean, they just killed it for us. At, they just killed it for us at Escape. Yeah. So I mean, you had an older. You have an older demo there. You have a younger demo with the hard style kids. Yeah. I mean, you I'm do, 34 and I love. I still love Carl Cox and Richie Houghton. Yeah, so. you do notice uh, like Empire of the Sun or uh, uh, or Fatboy Slim. Uh, uh, no, not Fatboy Slim. Empire of the Sun uh, tries to bring in instruments and even stylizes instruments to uh, give older people something to catch on to uh, and join the crowd. Um, and I, I, uh, uh, DJ uh, Shadow uh, has a drummer on stage with him, and he walks out and he says, uh, these tables have no computers on them. And, and so I, I find that uh, fascinating, and I, I think people are going to play with entertainment forms uh, with a mixture of this innovative new sound uh, that Skrillex uh, uses uh, and, and far more innovative stuff coming out of Berlin and mix it with uh, more traditional art forms that will appeal to a broader audience. I, I think there is a chance there. It's going to be really interesting to see what you guys do. I mean, you have new school EDM, you have old school EDM, you know, so if you're, you're in the Richie Houghton, Paul Van Dyke kind of category, you're, you're old school EDM, and then you have the rise of the new school EDM. On that topic, uh, maybe we can speak to what happened to Dubstep? Oh, I'm not answering that. Do we really have to talk, really talk about that? <laughs> Next question. <laughs> right. I think what Robert was just talking about is super fascinating. That what's what's gonna? Yeah, I think dubstep is more so about Skrillex, right? Than it was dubstep. But um, no, what Robert said is really fascinating. Where I think you're going to see a trend over the next five to ten years. With a, as dance music matures into electronic music, and I know sometimes the two are intertwined, 
but that there's going to be artists that want to push it forward. I think, and I know they're not considered a dance act necessarily, but Nine Inch Nails, for example, is an act that's always pushing it forward and has a lot of the same elements in their music. And I think you're going to see a lot more bands and makeups from even DJs that are making music that incorporates live instrumentation. I know all of my artists have a passion for that. And... I, I'm wondering uh, w- when does rock and roll wake up to the fact that you have to put on a show? Uh, you know, uh, some of the performers are picking up on that, um, uh, but a lot of them are not. Uh, and, uh, rock at Coachella, and roll well, at Coachella, yeah. you really see that differentiation. That the Sahara mm-hmm. tent has this two million dollar light set around you, and you're st- sitting there, and, and uh, an act like Cruella is actually singing and, and is doing uh, interesting stuff, but she has a full-on electri- uh, light show going on, uh, where the other acts down the down the uh, down the field are uh, don't have even close to as an in- interesting uh, visual appearance. Now, uh, there is a difference with with those old people; they don't uh, appreciate so much the the lights because old eyes uh, are not quite what a teenager's eyes are, right? Um, but I, I think you're going to see more Cirque du Soleil style elements come into entertainment uh, uh, on the other stages as well, and more lights and more uh, uh, video screens. Tons of lasers at LED. Lasers, baby. Tons lasers. of lasers. We love lasers. <laughs> lasers. All right, well, well, people just got to take off those rose colored glasses. Enjoy the yeah. show. Yeah. <laughs> well, we've got about. Well, ten- you watch a Carl Cox show, and you, you'll, you'll fall in love with it all over again. <laughs> So we've got about 10 minutes left, so we want to open the floor to questions. I'm actually really interested in this idea that um, the future of movies is uh, found in EDM, and uh, combining that with um, <coughs> Oculus Rift and, yeah, and, and not-so-virtual versions of Oculus, Oculus me... Rift. So I'm actually wanting to know if there are... VJs who are going to kind of headline more uh, and really uh, start storytelling. Let, let me talk about Oculus Rift. Has anybody played with the Crescent Bay prototype of Oculus Rift? There's 16. Please. You guys have. It um, it is can, extraordinary. Can, can, yeah. Can, before what is, I'm sorry. What is Oculus Rift? Okay, Oculus asking, Rift. I, I'm a music person. Yeah. Please. Oculus yes, Rift right, is. Yeah. <clears throat> Oculus Rift is a thing you wear on your head. It's virtual reality. It. It, it, and, and let me tell you what it does. It has two high-resolution screens in your eyes, and it has sensors so that when you turn your head, you see a virtual world. It's okay. an all-virtual world. And this Oculus Rift that I saw last week, is uh, the, the Crescent Bay is the, is the prototype of the next thing. Mark Zuckerberg bought the company and is building this at Facebook. So uh, when you put this thing on, and they start you out on the top of a Dubai skyscraper, and you're, sitting, uh, you're standing on a five-foot disc, and you instantly get vertigo. You instantly start looking around and go, oh, my God, I'm about to die. And then your brain goes, no, you're not going to die. It's a video game. <laughs> but then it goes, no, you're going to die. <laughs> and uh, it is unbelievable. So uh, Chris uh, uh, Milk, a famous music producer, took... Uh, 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 he built special cameras that have five GoPro cameras or eight GoPro cameras on them and spe- built special microphones that have eight uh, microphones around them. So he uh, built a, 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 a concert experience for Beck. 
and he has uh, three um, uh, uh, camera positions, so you can click a button, and you're up on stage with Beck, and Beck is sitting right here singing, and you move around, and you can see the entire audience just like I can hear, right? But it's virtual, and it's uh, extraordinary, and he has uh, cameras that are on, uh, on tracks, and the, the track takes you through the band, and uh, when you are in the middle of the band and you turn your head, the, 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 the sound changes because it's just like real life. The, the band is here and you move your head like this and the sound stays here because he's switching between those eight GoPro cameras and the eight uh, microphone, uh, which are especially uh, designed. Um, it is uh, the future of entertainment at home. I'm going to be able to sit inside one of your uh, stages and experience it almost like I was standing there. And it is quite remarkable. It's something that you guys should invest some money in. You can unbundle it, too. So in a way, it's not, you're not, I mean, you can do this in a live venue as well. Oh, yeah. So yeah, yeah. Well, uh, artists are going to use it on stage to, uh, to uh, build uh, uh, video interactions on the screens around you. Uh, and there's going to be other ones. Uh, Google's working on ones that uh, have augmented reality. So uh, Oculus is a virtual reality. It's a... You don't see the real world. You see only the virtual world. Uh, there's a company up here called Meta, which uh, put, you put on glass, and I see through the virtual world to the real world, and it puts uh, stuff on top of the real world. It's quite remarkable. It has a little 3D sensor that maps the real world. So the artists are going to use technologies like this to interact and build new experiences around them uh, as they're uh, performing. Right. Great. So you were asking if... Electronic artists will be scoring things like this. Well, I'm sure there's a lot, a lot of guys that would love to be involved with projects like that if it's the right fit. I mean, so many electronic artists, you know, they can only tour for so long, you know, and it's just like being in a rock band. You know, you, you're not not everyone is the Rolling Stones that you, the road goes on forever, and the the next natural progression for artists to keep working without having to tour is to start scoring film. Like Junkie XL has been someone that I've worked with on and off for a long time, and he's now part of Hans Zimmer's team. Um, Crystal Method, they just, you know, they did the almost human TV score and have done a lot of film work. Bones. Bones, yeah. Mm -hmm. They did the theme song for Bones. Um, Real Steel, the... Uh, the movie, they've done music for that. So yes, I think that is very possible. I think that should absolutely be part of a career of you know, you know, for the artists in the room. That's an incredible thing to maybe pursue for yourself if you're not getting your big club gig. But here's another place for you to do your craft and really work with some amazing forward, cutting edge things. Yeah. I think you'll see it next year. It'll be really premature, like beta, in yeah. what you see next year, because the understanding of the technology is complicated. Whether you're in the tech industry, you get it, but the music industry yeah. is very, um, I would say, disconnected in the tech world. You can see it in the way media is bought, and you can see it in the way... Um, you know, how certain things are displayed. So I would say you will probably see, a, you know, a premature kind of initiative in the virtual reality world. I would say probably 2016 when, when Facebook and Oculus Rift kind of figure out what they want to do and then they go pitch it to everyone, you, you'll see a bigger boom. But a festival or an artist to take that risk, maybe at 1%. 
How, how do you think fashion is going to change? Because I, I met uh, Nina. Uh, she lives in uh, Beijing, and she's a former fashion model, and she's uh, now designing dresses with LEDs in them. And I see lots of uh, EDM wear like kinds to, of items. I'd like to speak to that. Anything that gets the girls out of the hoochie panties and the fuzzy boots and put on some clothes and look awesome, I'm all for it. I don't know. <laughs> No, no boots for you? No fuzzy boots. <laughs> they wear whatever they want at our shows? Yes. <laughs> Take the yeah. next question. We allow them all in. Well, she got me. Um, but no, I mean, this picture that he just showed me is pretty awesome. Uh, um, yeah, it has a, a fabric that has LEDs in it. It's yeah. very, very nice. And uh, every... Uh, I think it's going to be a big deal in the next uh, few years. Not just for EDM. Yeah. I think if you're going to a prom, you want a dr- dress that looks different than anybody yeah. else's. And if you have LEDs, you can make it look different I mean, even, yeah, if, this is, even if you have the same dress as I do. Right? This is already happening because Budweiser yeah. just did an event in Colorado. And Alesso, who's one of my clients, um, performed at it. And they dressed the whole crowd, I believe, in these incredible, like, never-seen-before LED suits. And it was timed with the music. And the effect was incredible. I think they show a blip of it on the um, on Budweiser's current ad campaign. But, yeah, I mean, clothing, as far as technology and the future with EDM music, would be amazing. I'd love to see, you know, people light up. Why not? We let them wear whatever they want. I mean, yeah, that's know. just kind of yeah. That's kind of our, our thing, and it's a freedom of expression. And I mean, if you look at the San Diego Comic Con crowd, if you don't know what Comic Con is, you're like, uh, wow, what are they wearing? Same thing, kind of with our festivals. Cosplay. Cosplay, cosplay is a thing in the in the Comic Con ecosystem. I'm just, I'm just not a fan of the fuzzy boots. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I just have I think a question. We have time for one or two more questions. Uh, this one's a little bit geared more towards you, Ari, but it's more about uh, blogs. They're an undeniable force in disseminating music across the internet, especially uh, more so for EDM. And I'm wondering. Um, I think they've been criticized a lot for how they've just been more of a, a blast for certain artists and just putting it out and curating really excitedly everything an artist puts out or just a bunch of content. And I'm wondering where you see the future of blogs going because Lesson 3 has definitely exceeded in that space where there's so many other competitors, do Android's Dance, Ear Milk, all that. But do you think blogs should be more of a curated preference that people come to you looking for your selection or should it be just putting out what the content is more of a news source? It's an interesting question. Uh, it's something that we're constantly thinking about, especially nowadays. Uh, just to go on off, go off on one small tangent here that's related. Uh, there are other... So there's journalistic integrity, which is very important to us at Lesson 3. Uh, we pride ourselves on that. But there's this thing going on, which is really out of our control, which is uh, Facebook and other major traffic generators that we're sort of slaves to in some ways. And uh, it just so happens that Facebook's recent algorithm changes are rewarding sensationalism and clickbait articles, and it's forcing us to have a very difficult confrontation where, you know, we've always covered the smallest artists, the biggest artists, it doesn't matter as long as it's good, and that was very important to us as a platform. And we're finding that we're having to rethink that if we can even do it anymore because we've seen a massive decline in reach on Facebook because we don't only talk about the top DJs, which is what some of our competitors are doing and seeing dramatically better results than us. Um, 
My perspective on the blogosphere in general, I guess to answer your question more directly, is that we've hit a bit of a ceiling. I don't think you're going to see massive growth in that space. I think the amount of people that care to go and read about every new thing that comes out. I posted on my Facebook recently that I think the music review article is dead. I don't think anyone cares. You don't have enough time to read. It used to be that there wasn't a ton of really good content out there, so you wanted to read about the good good stuff. But now there's, you should just spend that time listening to more good stuff because there's so much good content out there. And so what we're transitioning less, the Less Than Three brand into is definitely more to your point about curation. And we're actually moving with a relaunch that's coming in the next few months, uh, curating video primarily as a more mass market type uh, tool for people. So you'll see more of that. Yeah, video does really well on Facebook. Uh, by the way, Facebook uh, uh, changes, and for me, I'm not seeing any of the kinds of things you're talking about. I'm, uh, the, the algorithms for the uh, bleeding edge are uh, changing away from uh, the sensationalism a little bit because I'm tra- tra- training it not to bring that to me. Um, they are learning from the earlier users who don't like that kind of content and are uh, going to change the algorithms for everybody over time. So the rules will always be changing, and you have to stay up to date on uh, how to uh, engage with people. Again, it's a story. If you have a good story, if you have a great video, uh, if you have a great content, a great music, it gets around. People share it, and uh, that algorithm will uh, respect that. Thank you guys for being here with us today and appreciate you guys coming through. Ari, thank you for doing a great job hosting and thank you to the panelists as well. Thank you, everyone.